Rafael Garcia, and it is uh, Thursday, June 1st, and we are back for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. It is first day in June, you know, half of the year is already gone by, and it is an excellent time of year as it is the start of the NBA playoffs. You know, Game one to the Kid Cleveland Cavs and the Golden State Warriors starts tonight at 9 p.m. And and I can I for one cannot wait to watch. I think this is going to be a great series. For the first time ever, the same two teams I've met three times in a row, and you know it's going to be a barn burn. I got the Warriors winning in six, I believe. But hey, I never push back against a LeBron James championship um, season just because I want to see how pissed off fans get when it happens. I am not here to talk about um, mixed martial arts. I'm actually here to talk, excuse me, I'm not here to talk about NBA. <laughs> I'm actually here to talk about mixed martial arts. And with that in mind, let's chat about what we got going on this week because we have another great week of MMA action. And uh, not only do we have to talk about UFC 212, which is this weekend, but we want to talk about uh, some of the news from this past week. We have a lot to talk about as well. My partner, Sean Hume, is currently in my I'm just hitting him up and said he's trying to get on the chat. So let's see what he has going on.
after that defeat at the hands of um, Conor McGregor back in 2015, I believe that was, you know, the whole world changed for how it was his first defeat in almost 10 years. It's a question about that, 13 seconds, people still won't let him live that down. So now, three, two years later, you know, he's back as a featherweight champion. He's, um, he looked great in his win over um, Trey Yeager back at UFC 205, I believe. He looked great, great in that win. So now we have him back to form as the, as the legit champion. And you have a guy in Holloway who has been surging. Holloway has not lost since he was defeated by Conor Berger years ago. And now we're, we're with the situation where, you know, Max Holloway is kind of coming into his own. And now it's like at this point where he is looking as if he's at the best that he's, at his, the best that he's ever been at this point. You got to remember this guy's still only, I think he's only 24 years old. But this guy is, is blowing through men left and right. And he looks better at time at the time again. So in Holloway, we have a interim champion, who's actually 25, and he has not lost since he was defeated by Conor McGregor back in 2013 at UFC Fight Night 26. Since then, um, like I said, he's not here. You know, he's, and it hasn't, even though he it hasn't included the biggest, biggest names, but I mean, well, I take that back, that's a lie. Because he's defeated Anthony Pettis, he's defeated Ricardo Lamas, he's defeated Jeremy Stevens, Charles Oliveira and Cubs Swanson, four men, one to five men, actually, excuse me, who are pretty much doing their um, damn thing. You know, everyone's come, all these guys are pretty much coming off, off of some big wins in recent memory. And Max Holloway stopped three out of those five. So he's really earned his place to be the interim champion right now. And it looks like he's finally going to get the opportunity to um, submit himself as that champion. But he's facing the guy in Jose Aldo, who many people wonder, you know, what 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 version of Aldo are we going to see? You know, he's only 30 years old. People talk about him as if he's some frail old man. It's just because he's been dominant for so, so long that he is looked at very differently, especially after that loss to McGregor, where um, he was just basically he was stamped out. And I've always talked about this fight as you know, I've always felt like McGregor did a great job of getting in Aldo's head. Maybe that played a part. We'll never really truly know statements like that, but it was a situation where now we have to um, now we have to see uh, where where he really stands at this point in his career. So this is a very intriguing fight for a number of different reasons. I've always been interested in seeing how Holloway's height advantage translates in a fight like this, especially with his style. I mean, he's almost five inches taller than Aldo, and his movement is something that's kind of been the most surprising of his development. He uses the whole cage, and this is going to be a, a fight where the bigger octagon is going to be used, not one of the smaller ones, 
So Holloway's going to be able to move, move, move as he's been doing in his last few fights. But the same goes for Alvaro. You know, if you look back to how he fought Frankie Edgar, um, their last meeting, Edgar had early success because he was able to pressure Aldo backwards, not pressure him up against the cage, pressure him backwards enough just to be able to land some shots before Aldo was able to circle out. As the fight went on, that ability was kind of taken away from him, especially behind Aldo's jab. But with Holloway, he's facing a guy who's bigger than him. He's facing a man that's much, much bigger than him, who's shown the same ability to be able to move. So it'll be this is a, this is, and I think that this is also an important fight for the featherweight division as a whole. On one hand, you know, you if Aldo wins, what do you really do with this division going forward? I mean, let's look at the guys who are in the top ten right now, and you have to wonder where do you, where do you come and go with this, with this division? I mean, at featherweight right now, you have Holloway as an interim champion, you have Edgar. Thomas, Swanson, Chang Sung Jung, Anthony Pettis, Elia Rodriguez, Jeremy Stevens, Brian Ortega, and Dennis Bermudez. Aldo has defeated um, two, three, four, and five. Um, there is, a, I mean, you can't put Anthony Pettis back in there after the way he's looked over his last few fights. Elia Rodriguez has stopped out by Frank Yeager. Jeremy Stevens also recently lost to Edgar, so he's out of the equation. Brian Ortega, okay, he's a surgeon. You know, prospect and Bermudez, he had that loss back to Ron. So I think he's lost again since then. So this division, you really don't know what you could do with um, what you could do with the group. With Holloway as champion, all of these fights kind of look interesting again. Yeah, Holloway has a recent win over Cub Swanson, and I think for Carlo Lamas as well. But that and Anthony Pettis too. But that that Edgar fight is there, which would um, make immediate sense, and it would definitely uh, give the opportunity for either Edgar to submit himself as a legend in the sport, or for Holloway to win and kind of push the direction and and the narrative going forward. Um, I'm interested in hearing what Schwan says from a style breakdown between these two men because I I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this fight breaks out, especially early because I think that. You know, Aldo, he's a habitual slow starter. It's funny, the one time he tried to come out and be uber aggressive, he ended up getting clipped by um, by Connor. But he's usually like a slow starter who begins to pick his opponents. And, um, he usually likes to slow start, start slow, excuse me, and pick his opponents apart from um, start to finish. 
one second, guys. Let me try to get Sriwan into this chat. Sorry, sorry folks, let me try to get him into this into this chat. You know you guys love to hear his commentary. Anyway, sorry about that. I'm still talking about Edgar and, um, excuse me, Aldo and Holloway. <clears throat> so I'm not, I mean, if I had to go out on them right now and make a pick, I'm going to go with um, Max Holloway just because I want to see what the, what the direction of this division goes with him as champion. I think that this, you know, and I think it's really, as, I don't, not, it's not that anything that's negative towards Aldo. I just kind of want to see what a new direction for this division looks like. And there we go. Sean, join us. Yep, yeah, that's me. Good, good, good. I'm glad you were able to. We got the worst, worst luck with technology. It, it's like it hates me. Hey, it's always bad to have. It's, it's always bound to happen sooner or later, man. Sooner or later, it's bound to happen. But um, we are back here, and we're back again talking about uh, UFC 212. I already kind of gave my points of interest when it came to the main event where we got Aldo and Holloway going at it. What are your thoughts when you look at this matchup? Uh, the biggest thought, I'm really kind of curious to see, because with Aldo, a lot of people are going to talk about the, the technical aspect, and a lot of it with, with his opponents isn't so much a matter of technique, because Aldo is probably one of the finest technicians history. The question is, when the guy he fights, are they willing to and can they maintain pace and maintain the physicality necessary? A lot of guys start off, start off tough, but then once he starts hitting him with those real sharp counters or he puts some power on the shots, won't, they won't throw as much volume. They start thinking. They start hesitating. They don't want to really engage with him the way they should. It's kind of breaking up. Let's get this fixed now. Before, uh, you're kind of breaking up and going in and out. So let's let's try to get this sorted out now. Yeah. Okay, I can better hear you there. You got me now? Yep, yeah, definitely you got that. Sorry about that. Yeah, no basically 
without it doesn't take control of the pace that he's not comfortable with. That's what he's got to do. It's just a matter of whether he's mentally and physically tough enough to maintain Every time somebody ramps up a pace on Aldo, and then guys start backing off because they start taking too many power shots, too many left hooks to the liver, too many leg kicks, and then they start backing off, and then Aldo goes on cruise control and basically picks you apart for the rest of the fight. That's all of what on that pace. And essentially drown in volume and activity. I don't see how he fights Aldo with the pace Aldo likes. He got a lot of volume out there. Make Aldo work harder defensively and make him work harder offensively. That's pretty much the way I see the fight. Like, 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 we'll hear, we'll hear, like, the last two, two words, and then you'll go all the way down. Okay. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Let me try this. Can you hear me better now? I sure can. You got me? Yep, I got you now. All right. Yeah, essentially, well, long story short, the problem is it's a matter of pace. The pace. He likes to force guys to fight at the pace he likes where he can pick you apart and essentially go on cruise control and use his technique to outslick you and dictate what you do uh, is going to be to force a pace, to make Aldo fight at a pace that he doesn't want to. That just comes with a price because when you ramp it up on Aldo, Aldo will ramp it up to meet you. Back off when he starts putting volume on them. Max Holloway's job is going to be not to just set a high pace, but to maintain it and then to build on it and make Aldo work in every position, at every range, whether it's grappling, in the clinch, striking at range, everything. He's got to constantly make him work. I'm not, I don't think Aldo will gas as much as people think he is. I don't think he's got so much of that. But the fact of the matter is Aldo, Aldo, Aldo is not comfortable working beyond a certain pace. So your job is to make him uncomfortable and work at a pace that, he, that he doesn't, he's not used to and take away his experience and take away his technique and take away his defensive prowess by just making him work, 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 one through five rounds. So talk to me about what you've seen, like the change in Max Holloway since that Conor McGregor loss, and how do you think that that's going to apply when these two guys meet in the cage now? Does he look like much of a different fighter? Um, and will those changes, I like for me, my, my opinion is, um, you know, I think his movement is going to be really key here. And talk to me about those type of changes that you've seen him make at this point in his career. Well, one of the main things I talked about, especially when he uh, he challenged Pettis for that interim title, was that a lot of guys, when they fight in the UFC or they fight in any organization, they don't go through developmental steps. They're not, they don't fight enough, and they don't fight enough different types of fighters for them to really flesh out their skills. They fight like one set, they fight guys who are underneath them, they get by on athleticism, or they fight guys with one specific skill set, or they fight guys who aren't really caliber as far as talent. Max Holloway's fought just the broadest set of opponents you could fight since from the time he's been in 
up to this point. And I think it's really allowed him to refine his skills and made him have to address every aspect of mixed martial arts. That's what I've really noticed the improvement in is that he's got a real comfort in every sort of range now. He's comfortable grappling. He's comfortable wrestling. He's comfortable putting pressure on guys. He's comfortable counterpunching. He's comfortable playing a defensive game. There's not really any aspect of mixed martial arts that he doesn't have a functional skill set in. And that's what been the difference. He used to be fairly one-dimensional, but now even in that one dimension, he's become multidimensional. And now he's also got the ground game and the wrestling to back it up. It's just the seasoning that comes from fighting a lot and fighting an ascending level of fighter. I guess the best comparison would be like how Michael Venom Page has only been fighting guys of a certain caliber. Max Holloway has fought guys a little bit better than the guy before, and everybody he's fought has had a different kind of skill set or a different kind of approach. He, the biggest difference I've noticed is that confidence and that self-awareness. And you can't get self-awareness just practicing in the gym, sparring. The self-awareness comes from fighting a lot and fighting a broad variety of of mentalities and a broad variety of skill sets and a broad variety of physical talents. And he's done that. That's that's the biggest difference. He's, he's got a better sense of what he can do, what he can't do, where strong areas are, where they aren't. But he didn't just he doesn't just know where he's weak at. He's addressed those weaknesses. So the, big, the biggest difference is that confidence and that self-awareness in what he can do. Um, the way that's going to affect the fight is, I agree with you, the footwork's going to play a huge issue. Um, Aldo's used to guys who are mostly wrestlers who can't who, who learn how to strike. And even if you're athletic and you learn how to strike, there's certain subtle nuances about striking that you're going to miss out on. We, we talked about this with Trevor Whitman. We talked about this with T.P. Grant. A lot of the wrestlers get by on either durability or they get by on their athleticism, which is great. But Aldo's an A-plus athlete. So you're not just going to go in there and out-athlete him. And if you're tough, that's great. What good is being tough against a guy who's not just hard to hit? He's technically superior than you, and he hits for power. Toughness is just going to get you beat up. Athleticism is just going to end up get you beat up. Max Holloway actually has some craft behind what he does. He doesn't just throw volume and come at you. He switches angles. He switches stances. He throws punches, knees, kicks, elbows. He throws the he throws the full skill set. So for one time, for once in his life, dealing with somebody, Aldo's not just going to be able to pick them off. A simple jab isn't going to get it done against against Max Holloway. Leg kicks alone aren't going to get it done against Max Holloway. Doing little slips and parries aren't going to get it done because he's got a he, he's got a developed enough skill set and he's got enough awareness to make adjustments within round to round and from the beginning of the fight to the end of the fight. Most guys Aldo's fought haven't had the ability to make adjustments. Frankie Edgar got better, but Frankie Edgar can only fight one way. Chad Mendes got better, but Chad Mendes could only do one thing. Max Holloway can do a bunch of different things, but the only way you can learn how to do a bunch of different things is by testing yourself in live fire and being forced to do different things. And he faced guys where he was forced to do different things with, and that's why he's going to present such a challenge because he doesn't every aspect of his skill set. He's not going in there thinking, well, I might be able to hang with Aldo on the feet. I might be able to hang with Aldo on the ground. I might be able to hit scrambles with Aldo. He's thinking he can compete with him in every single area because he's fought guys who've done everything you can do in MMA, and he's been able to match them in their area of strength. So now facing Aldo, he's got all the confidence to handle whatever's going to be thrown at him. Yeah, that's, that's definitely some key points that, that, that you um, spoke about there. Um, talk to me about the stigma now that Conor McGregor has over this division. I mean, you know, he's the last man to beat both of these guys 
and you know he won he won the title, never defended it, went off, and now he's doing God knows what. For a win for either one of these guys, does it help them become the attention of the featherweight featherweight division? Because I feel like since McGregor's left and he's just kind of taken the, the title with him, well, that the the whole kind of I think you make a real good point has changed. You you make a really good point. The thing of the the heart the thing that hurts the division the most is that and Jose Aldo is a great champion. Well, this is the only thing I can compare it to. Like imagine if McGregor and Mayweather fought, right? And somehow, some way, McGregor beats Mayweather, beats Mayweather, and does it handily. Like he doesn't even knock him out. He actually outboxes Mayweather over twelve rounds. It doesn't matter what Floyd did before or after. That's always going to put a stigma. Not just on Floyd, but on everybody who Floyd beat. Because Floyd's boxers, now this MMA guy comes in and systematically takes him apart, not knocks him out, not bullies him. That would impact everything. And everybody connected to Floyd, everybody who lost to Floyd, their legacy changes. And that's what happened in the, in the featherweight division. Jose Aldo was completely dominant. The most guys could do was say that he was slowing down in fights. Under two. When he fought Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor took supposedly the best striker in MMA history, or one of them, the best defensive striker in MMA history, if not one of them, definitely the best in his division, and he took that guy apart. He landed one shot, and he iced that guy. And the sad thing is, easy as he made it, Jose Aldo was still light years ahead of the majority of the division. You saw what Jose Aldo did to Frankie Edgar, and Frankie Edgar has been running amok in the featherweight in the top 10. And then the same Frankie Edgar who had improved so much and had grown so much and is an all-time great ass and dismantled by Jose Aldo who got decimated in 13 seconds by the first clean shot he took from Conor McGregor. It leaves a shadow over the featherweight division. If Jose Aldo wins this fight, it still leaves a shadow because you're saying this guy is better than everybody. He's better than Frankie Edgar, who was the second best in the division. Now he's better than the interim champ who had gone on a 10-fight win streak to him handily. So, yeah, he's great. But this other guy who left the division beat that guy with one shot. And that's never – that's never you're never going to get people to forget that because it was so dynamic and it was so unexpected. Now, if Max Holloway wins, we might have a conversation. Is the Holloway fight, if Holloway – didn't crumble under McGregor's power. Holloway didn't crumble under McGregor's pressure. Holloway was able to hold his own in stand-up exchanges. He actually landed quite a few counters on Conor McGregor, and he was able to win some exchanges, and he showed a lot of durability, conditioning, and heart. Conor McGregor didn't just go in there and, and dominate him like he did Dustin Poirier and Brimage and Mendez and Aldo. He had a fight on his hand. He had to earn that. That was the only fight decision was with Max Holloway. So if Holloway wins it, Holloway, by basically by public assumption, is going to be deemed as not being that far from Conor McGregor as far as the gap in skill. They'll actually consider Holloway close to it because Holloway's fight with McGregor was so competitive. But if Aldo wins it, I know everybody says it was just one shot. I get that. But the fact of the matter is it still happened, and it's a bad look. You can talk about all the people he dominated. You can tell me how great he was. I understand he was great. But he got iced in 13 seconds with the first hard punch this guy threw. 
it's going to be hard to get that out of people's minds, especially with the fact that Conor McGregor talks for almost a year and a half straight about how he's going to expose Aldo and Aldo wasn't his level. And then the first time he touches them, and Aldo hasn't done himself any favors by constantly saying, I'm still the champ. I never lost. He's running from me. Dude, he ain't running from nobody. He's running towards money. He's running a weight class higher. He, he's not running from anybody. And every time Aldo tries to dismiss what he's done or revel, revel in one of his losses, it makes him look that much worse. And it makes the division look that much worse. Essentially for the division to be anywhere near legitimate, which has to win this fight. I mean, Rational people like you and me will see it as legitimate, but, but even even in our rationality, you have to you have to question the point. How can, how good can this guy be? How good can this division be? You're competing in it anymore. Essentially, knocked off the the only other champion they've had, and he did it in 13 seconds. I mean, it's it's just hard to dismiss that hard. It's hard to dismiss that fact. No matter what happens from this point on, if Jose Aldo is a champion, he's always going to be connected to Conor McGregor, which means he's always connected to the one punch, thirteen second knockout he endured against Conor McGregor. So you said something pretty interesting. You said that a, a big win for our, uh, excuse me, Holloway puts him on the same level as McGregor. Um, even with the way that that first fight went down, do you think that there's any value in a potential rematch between those two if Holloway comes out as the uh, champion? I could see, I could see McGregor, if he decided to go back to MMA, I could see him calling out, calling out Holloway because, I mean, with the exception of Nate Diaz, and even Nate Diaz got dropped like what twice, three times against McGregor. Nobody's taken McGregor's power or handled his speed or his move, his movement or his volume as well as Max Holloway. I mean, who? I mean, Eddie Alvarez was on, was on, was stumbling like a drunk. The first two times he got hit and got finished decisively. He didn't even know where he was. Aldo got blasted with one shot. He was done. Chad Mendes made it with like a round and a quarter before he was done. You know, I mean, who else is who else is? Really, that fight, huh? I'm saying he was up on the cars before he uh, he got finished. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll give it to him. He tested him in spots, but. He still got finished. There's only one guy. There's only two guys who haven't been finished, and there's only one guy who wasn't dropped, wasn't rocked, and went and went went three rounds of war with McGregor, and that would have been Max Holloway. And Max Holloway's been on a ten fight win streak. Nate Diaz had the fight over win over Connor, but he's had losses in between since he's had lot he's had losses during the time when Max Holloway went on this run. Eddie Alvarez went on a run, but Eddie Alvarez hasn't looked as impressive against as Max Holloway in his wins. Only person who looked even close, it was, com- it was competitive, was Frankie Edgar, and Frankie Edgar had his shot, and he got schooled by Jose Aldo. So pretty much the only person who's been even remotely competitive with McGregor would have been Holloway. And like I said before, he fought. Holloway's been on a ten-fight win streak. He's beaten almost all the guys in the top five, if not the top seven in the division. He's almost cleared out the division before he got to the title. I mean, yeah, I looked at the rankings before you were able to join us, and he's already defeated. Um, let me see, he's already defeated. He defeated Lamas Swanson um, and Anthony Pettis. So that's three, and that's, that's the number three, four, and six ranked uh, guys right now. Yeah, when he beat when he beat Charles DeBronx Oliveira, Oliveira was ranked. At that's true. That's true. 
So, and then he beat Jeremy Stevens. Jeremy Stevens was ranked in top. I forgot about that. He did beat Jeremy Stevens. Jeremy Stevens is number eight. I he would have beat three, four, six, eight, and the number one guy who's only lost once in division. It was not cleaning out the division, but it's pretty close. You know, at this point, the only person he has to fight is Frankie Edgar. That'd be the only thing in, in his in his in his way as far as being a featherweight champion. That'd be the only thing in his way. Beat Frankie Edgar. What's the point of staying in the division to fight Yair Rodriguez for what? I mean, the only names that could um. Pop up would be maybe a re-emerging Chance Chance on John, um, and maybe a double Choi, just because the UFC loves those guys so much. Because the way that, yeah, I think that both those guys would get split. There be there would be fights out. They could make fights for him, but it almost start it would start looking like a Demetrius Johnson type situation. You've already beat the most dominant, most athletically gifted, most experienced, most skilled guys in division. Now you're just beating the 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 B squad. Yeah, they're good fighters, but they're still the B squad. I mean, you put those names that we listed on his resume and he beat those guys when they were still winning. He didn't beat them off losing streets. He beat them when they were still winning. So that, that carries some weight. That carries some meaning. That's very true. That's very true. Um, so if Aldo loses, what is, what's next for him? Does he, like, do you, me personally, I mean, I, don't, I can't see him returning to the UFC to fight in a if he loses to the fight in a, in a bout, that's not for a belt. Like if he if he loses, I think he may be done with the promotion. Yeah, I mean, the thing about it is, if he loses to Holloway, the thing the way Holloway fights, Holloway's not a big knockout puncher. Like he's got length and he and he throws a lot of volume, like Conor McGregor. But he's not, he's not a one punch kind of guy. So for Aldo to for Holloway to beat Aldo, have to beat the hell out of him. He's going to have to break him down and outwork him and just can't be any. I just got caught. You know, he hits harder than I think than he thought. He's essentially going to have to walk Aldo down, overwhelm, overwhelm volume, dig to the body, throw a bunch of different kicks, downs, clinches. He's going to have to use the full skill set. He's going to actually have to outwill and outfight Aldo. And those kind of losses, you can you can make a, a, slick, a slick submission loss because you know, who could have stopped that? You get touched and the guy just knocks you out. You can't prepare for that. But for a guy to essentially have to outfight you for five rounds or, or for, for the length of a fight, I'm being outboxed for 12 rounds. You can't, if you're a grappler, you can't get around a guy taking you down, putting you in every possible finishing position, letting you out, and then just putting you in another hold and then letting you out. He outclassed you on every front. Holloway to beat out, though, he's a simple break him down. Okay, puncher. He's not the most dynamic submission finisher. He's none of those things. He's just a guy with good talent, a lot of experience, who's who's fought a lot and grown a lot, and who's improved in every area. He's not such a dynamic fighter in the, in the truest sense of, of an athletic fighter. So him beating Aldo will be a complete beating. It will be a complete win. There won't be any one-punch knockout. There won't be any going to be it's going to be a punishing, clear defeat if he beats Aldo. Aldo could hit him with something, catch him on the counter, maybe knock him out, use his leg kicks to wear him out, something like that. Holloway's not that kind of guy. He breaks guys by putting that kind of pressure and volume on him and throwing so many different techniques. All 
his, all his wins, they're very clear. It's not split decision wins. It's clear wins. It's not even really close when you think about it. So if Aldo loses that kind of fight, I really don't know where he goes because that would have been for the second time in a row when he faced a young, hungry up-and-comer in their prime. He lost, and he lost decisively. So what now? Now he's the guy. He's he's. Does that mean he's in decline? He can't move. The, he can't move the lightweight. The lightweight. McGregor's not even going to say his name. Why would McGregor even mention it? McGregor's not going to want him. He'll want the guy who beat him. And then he's going to just beat number two in the division. So what's he going to do? Fight Frank Yeager again? Now it's like there's thing would excite him, and there's no fight that would pay him the money he wants to get paid or to pay him to fight. Yeah, like I don't, I don't see, I don't see any positives for him if he does find himself on the losing side of the um, of the results. And looking at uh, looking at the rest of your season, so there's a big co-main event where we had Claudia Cadelia facing against Kevin and Kovacevic, um, oh, Kovacevic, excuse me, um, Kovacevic. And I think this is a big point to make before we start talking about this fight. That a, this fight is a three-round fight as opposed to a five-round event. I think this fight could have made of it in a, uh, a smaller venue, like a Fox, um, like a Fox Sports 1 card or, or a UFC Fight Pass card. And that denotation between the number of rounds is going to play a key part in how this fight um, shapes up. Yeah, you're, you're, you're 100% right in that. Um, I actually did an article breaking, telling that Claudia needs to do to beat Carolina. And um, a lot of it, a lot of what's going to be her success is going to be the shortened rounds. I'm not saying that she wouldn't be able to do it over five. It would just be a whole lot tougher given the person she's fighting. Because um, Carolina, how do you say it? Kovacavich? There you go. Kovacavich. Kovacavich, excuse me. There you go, finally. A lot of her, the thing about it is she's not a real technician in the truest sense of a technician. Like, even with her striking, she's an experienced striker. You watch her. She's not very textbook. She's not very fluid. She's not a dynamic athlete. She's not really fast hands, really quick feet, really explosive power, all that kind of stuff. She's a girl who gets by on the fact that she's very tough. She can take whatever you, whatever heat you're throwing at her. She's got excellent cardio. She can set a pace and maintain it and build on it. And the fact that she throws a lot of different, she throws a lot of volume, whether it's at range, in the pocket, especially in the clinch, she throws a lot of different techniques with those techniques essentially she just drags people into a fight they don't want to be into gets them tired and then beats the hell out of them in all the fights she's had she fought heather joe clark she fought randa marcos she fought in the fights that she's won every single of those women were better athletes than her had more of a diverse skill set like they could strike and they could wrestle pretty good or they could grapple pretty well experience in fights in her the difference is none of those girls were able to dissuade her with power. They hit her with clean shots. They hit her with combinations. She continued to keep coming. We keep pressing. She'd still get their get her hands on them and make them work. And since she just wore them down, um, and they started losing a step, she just started beating them up systematically. They stopped. They got away from the technical thing to do to win the fight, and they started getting dragged into a, trying to match her volume. They're trying to get her to back off by throwing harder, which isn't going to work because she's got a very good chin and she doesn't get and she doesn't get really tired. Because when you get tired, that's when shots start to rock you even if you've got a good chin. So then they start trying to get, keep her off her, keep 
off of them instead of sticking to the things that kept them in the fight early. And as a result, they lose. Rose Namajunas had the jab. She was setting up everything off the jab beautifully, pivoting, feigning with the shoulder, then sticking it with the jab, jab to the body, then jab to the head, faking the jab, throwing side kicks, round kicks, head kicks. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. She goes for a takedown, can't get it. Instead of exiting out or getting control and then spinning out, using it to get Kova Cage to the cage and back off, she keeps fighting for the takedown. Well, in fighting for the takedown, see underhooks. When she gets the underhooks, what does she do? Go to work with those knees to the body, elbows, short punches. And even when she's not landing those shots, she's physically stronger than Rose, so she's wearing her down, taking away some of that explosiveness. So when later in round two, in round three, when all Rose has to do is stay on her toes, stick that jab, fake pivot, throw combinations, turn away, keep her turning, she can't do it. She doesn't have the energy. She's the abuse and from fighting at a pace and having to grind grind out just she can't do it. She, she took too much damage in a three minute span done for the rest of the fight. Not consistently, not enough to pull away. Random Marcos says she hits fairly hard. She can wrestle. She didn't use her jab. She didn't use any footwork. She didn't try to she didn't try to counter. She kept waiting for Carolina to finish. She even had some success in the clinch. She controlled Ke- Kovacavich. But the thing about it is, she didn't work in the clinch. She was just trying to hold her up against the cage. She was getting ate up with knees, short punches, and elbows. She was getting worn down because instead of setting up with a jab, she's throwing single power shots, trying to counter Kovacavich. She would wait till Kovacavich was done and then try to swing. Kovacavich, even though she's a volume fighter, then comes in on a straight line, kind of like Frankie Edgar position or until she lulls you into a sense of security and then she comes crashing in with combinations and most MMA fighters their footwork isn't developed they back up straight in the line they do the high double arm guard she punches through it she punches under it Marcos got tired then Marcos started getting taken down started getting kneed up started getting beat up and the same thing with Heather Joe Clark experience better all-round set of skills she had a jab she was competing well when she had a jab she was putting shots together moving around, backing Carolina up. But she got tired. She couldn't maintain the pace because her footwork failed her. She started running around the cage. She started running instead of pivoting. She started in Kovacavich, she started, kept on throwing volume, throwing volume, punched away the clinches, and then just beat the hell out of her. And then she went from to being a victim of an assault on national TV. It's just that quickly. She drags you into those fights. Same thing, same way Nate Diaz does. Nate Diaz does same general way that Nick Diaz does. They drag you into a fight that you don't want to be in, where it's going to come down to a matter of toughness, physical strength, and activity, not technique, not experience, not skills. Every single advantage over her, much like everybody else did, it's smart enough. Physical and technical skills she has. She's a better boxer at range might be the better striker in the pocket as well. She's a better wrestler and she's a better grappler. She's going to fight in a disciplined manner that allows her to take advantage of that, or she's going to slowly let Kovacavich work her way into the fight because instead of jabbing, jabbing, jabbing to the head, to the body, to break the rhythm, she starts doubling up on the jab and throwing heat and throwing power shots, figuring I'm going to get this girl out of here. She's so easy to hit. I'm going to get her out of here. You can't fight like that. You can't assume you're going to get the knockout. You have to fight smart. 
You use the jab to disrupt her. Instead of letting her get that volume off, you punch with her. Two punches is the best time to get hit by punches. You don't try to match your volume, but you throw with her so you can land those harder shots. That's going to disrupt her. It's going to disrupt her timing. Straight lines. Get off the get off the center line when she comes forward. If you come off at an angle, she's right in front of you. Guess what? It's hard to defend a takedown when someone's coming. Well, you're a grappler, you know. If I come straight in on a takedown, you might defend that. If I come in at an angle with a takedown, that's a little bit harder to defend. And it's the same thing with strikes. I don't know if I'm correct. Well, you, you know grappling much better than me. Is that correct? No, you're definitely correct there. You're definitely correct with that, that uh, You come at an angle. When she when she comes with my mouth at an angle and then you drive through her, now she's off balance. When you get that takedown, it's a clean takedown. You can secure position. When you come straight in, she might get guard. She might turn. To, she might turtle. She might just go all the way to her knees and try to power her way up, power her way up. Heading, attacking her straight on gives her all those options. But if you're coming off at an angle and then coming back in at an angle, that takes that option. You get. You can secure the takedown. You can walk her into clean shots instead of standing in front of her and exchanging with her. You can hit easily. You like you start getting into rhythm and you just keep hitting them and you figure eventually they're gonna go. Go. When you hit her, step off and step around. So when she fires back, you're already gone. She's gotta reset her feet. When she resets, bam, right hook. Bam, stiff jab. Or when she resets, go for the takedown. It's all fighting smart. You don't let her volume, you don't let her cardio, you don't let her toughness force you into a fight you don't want to be in. And and as good as Claudia is. I've seen her fight done before. When she fought in that second fight, we talked about that fight. I said, Joanna can make it easy or she can make it hard. If she moves, she'll make it easy. If she wants to fight dumb and a trade and exchange, she's going to make it hard. Claudia made it very easy for her by just running straight in. Fighting for takedowns, getting them. Joanna would get back up. That's a waste of energy. If you get a takedown and somebody gets right back up, you just wasted a huge amount of energy. If you're a person with a notorious, what some people say, suspect gas tank, you can't afford to waste energy. You have to be efficient. You efficiently distribute punishment. You efficiently attack. You you dictate when you're going to engage, when you're not. You do things to take everything everything she does well and take it off the board. That requires to be footwork, pivoting, coming up, coming in on angles, getting off angles, pivoting, making her turn, making her reset so she can't put volume on you. When she starts putting volume on, instead of waiting till she gets done to fire back, then you'll hit her. Make her feel that power. Disrupt that volume. She gets one, two, bam, bam. You hit her with a one, two. She won't throw three, four, five, and six. If you step off, she blows right past you, setting you up to walk her into a shot or take her to clinch. You don't let her initiate the clinches. You dictate when the clinches happen. Because the reason she's so effective in the clinch is because people are running from exchanges with her. You initiate it with it. You don't have to stay in the clinch with her, but initiate it. Show her that you're not afraid. She never knows if you're going to step back or you're going to punch your way into the clinch. She doesn't know if you're going to clinch and stay there and fight, or she doesn't know if you're going to clinch and drop for a double leg. You've got the better skill set. Don't, don't turn yourself from a multi-range fighter into a single range. Turn yourself to a single range fighter, even if you're good at that range. You there? Yes. Yeah, sorry about that. I had to cut out for a second. Um, so you, you, you said a lot of different things there. Uh, I want to kind of touch on a couple of different things about this matchup between 
Skadelia and Kabukevich um, from a um, ranking you, Let me compliment you. You were excellent with these names, sir. Oh, man, I, I listen to so much commentary about the sport that I, it's, it's a thing of mine, man. If these athletes are going to be, you know, getting in this cage and, and presenting themselves to the public and, and fighting for us, not for us, but, you know, they're out there doing their thing. We can That's my thing, man. I'm gonna, I have to get on your level, man. I have to get on your level. <laughs> so, um, in reference to this fight here, man, we got two women who have both lost to the champion, one of which has lost twice. Um, and we're looking at a division that's kind of still reshaping itself. It's, it's you have a dominant champion, which is always a good thing, and I feel like you have a host of contenders that are that are continuing to kind of emerge and and break through all at the same time. What do you do with this group, um, with either with either or the person who wins on Saturday? Do you kind of keep them in that position where they continue to uh, be a gatekeeper, for lack of a better term? Or do you find something else to do? Or do you put them back right into the title picture? I think Kabul Havage is definitely closer to a title title shot than um, uh, Cordelia right now. Well, the thing about the thing that puts Claudia in a bad position is that she's lost twice. But you have to think about it this way: out of all the fights Joanna's had at this in this division, she's only had two two tough fights, and both of those fights were with Claudia. She dominated. She dominated Carolina. She dominated Jessica Andrade. She dominated Jessica Panay and Carla Sparza. Nobody's given her any sort of test or put her in any sort of danger, except for Gadella. Gadella. Thank you. God, messing this up. But nobody's put her in any sort of danger. Nobody. Nobody's forced her to work. You know, nobody. I mean, you saw what she did to Andrade a couple weeks ago. It's like they didn't even belong in, in the same skill level. And that's the same thing she did to Kovacavich, except Kovacavich landed one shot that everybody focuses on. That fight wasn't competitive. Competitive. The Jessica Panay fight wasn't competitive. The only one who's been able to compete with her on the feed, in clinches, and on the ground has been Claudia. The thing is about Claudia is like you said. So Claudia's in a position. Claudia had to take this fight because she's trying to figure out how can she force a rematch with Joanna. Beating up Courtney. Hey, um, beating up on Courtney. Go ahead. Uh, I gotta run to the door real quick. Keep talking about this fight. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no problem. What, what people don't understand is Claudia wanted to, wants to get a shot at Joanna. The only way she can get a shot at Joanna is by beating someone who's close to the title, if not in position to challenge for the title. Beating up Courtney Casey doesn't get her any, it keeps her busy, but it doesn't get her any closer to Joanna. Beating up Carla Esparza keeps her busy, but it doesn't get her any closer to Joanna. She has to beat someone up five. She's got to beat someone who's close to a title so she can get herself one step closer to a title shot. And the only person that, the only person who's available was going to be Kovacavich. Rose Namajunas wasn't going to fight her, especially not now that she's lined up for a title shot. There's no point in fighting Michelle Watterson, she just lost. So she's essentially in the middle, if not the end of the line. Who else is she going to fight? Felice Herrig? Felice Herrig's nowhere near a title shot. Alex Grasso? Grasso's nowhere near a title shot. All the other girls who are available are women who are ranked beneath her, who beating them doesn't improve her position. It just maintains her position. No reward type situation for her to fight anybody else in the division. She needs top five people or close to challenging. That's the only reason to fight Kova Kavich. Kova Kavich wants a rematch. And her fighting, Felice Herrick, Alex Grasso, 
Beck Rawlings, Tisha Torres, all those girls, that does nothing for her either. She has to have a win over somebody who's in conversation of being an elite straw weight for her to have any sort of argument to get a rematch. They have to beat someone of a certain caliber. They have to be someone with a certain cachet, not just with a name, but who has the records, the skills, and the ability to back it up. So that's why they're fighting each other. It's not necessarily that they want to fight each other. Keep for position to make sure that they're either the next title contender or maybe the title contender after that. And this is the only way they can do it, especially in the case of Claudia, who's already got two high-profile losses to Joanna. She she probably needs this more more than anybody else because she's had two shots. She's right in that uh, category of I fought her, I've te- I, I pushed her the hardest, but I haven't been able to beat her. So for her to get a third shot, she's going to have to do something outstanding, which means beating up anybody who's in that top five and hopefully winning an impressive fashion. That, that's her thing. Kovacavich, a couple options. She probably, would, she probably still needs to win another two, maybe one or two, maybe three fights before she could consider competing for it. Because the fight with the fight with Joanna wasn't close. She wasn't really in that fight. So it's gonna be hard to justify putting her at least it would be to me. So that that's why that fight's happening. But it's more important to Claudia, given the fact that she's already lost twice to Joanna. If she loses to Kovakavich, consider moving divisions because she won't she won't be in the championship discussion. It'll be hard it'll be hard to put her in the championship discussion, especially with the way Joanna's been looking. Claudia actually needs to put on a very impressive showing to actually force a fight with Joanna because Joanna's been looking better and better. Every fight, she's been more impressive. Every fight, she's been more dominant. So for her to get that shot, she's going to have to do something. She's going to have to do something impressive. She's A stoppage win would be good, whether it's by submission or KO. Good against Carolina. Because that means she did what Joanna couldn't do in half the in half the rounds. If she could just dominate her and keep her out of position and outbox her, outstrike her, and outwrestle her completely, that would look good. Because even though Carolina got dominated by Joanna, Carolina had at least one moment of success. If she can keep it where she doesn't have really any moments of success or dominance, she doesn't drop her, she doesn't put her in any danger. Let me have another shot. I'll get the job done. If she loses, because Joanna quality is still one of the bigger first in the division. She's still one of the better wrestlers, and she's one of the better. There's, there's most of the girls are moving to flyweight. I have a hundred. This, I don't know that she has without enough skill set. As many girls as she needs toughness and durability, there's just as many girls who could beat her. Ability or girls who could beat her just off her skill set. I still much than anybody in the division. Her skill set, she's a great striker. I don't know what she has to offer as a grappler exceptional at it otherwise we would have seen it by now and she's not some kind of top and wrestler she's got a couple of throws but she's taking anybody down. That, that's that's not that's not her uh that's not her approach 
So on paper, there's a lot of girls who can beat up. A loss to Claudia just proves that she hasn't improved enough and, and she really isn't in the class of the elite fighters, which I, I don't think she is either. I don't, I don't think she's an elite fighter. I think she has elite toughness. I think she has elite cardio and elite pace. That skills that you can gain, you can observe. She just pushes people, gets them to fight outside of themselves. And as a result, gets a lot of wins that maybe her skills and her experience say she shouldn't be getting for both parties for both parties but it's a big reward for both parties a win for either person keeps them in that conversation it keeps them within striking distance of joanna a loss for either party takes them out of it it's going to take at least another two probably a minimum of three to four fights and i'm talking about impressive dominant wins in these fights before they can even be mentioned in joanna because joanna's performance is going up and every time she steps in the cage she's looking so much better when she fought Esparza, she looked good. She fought Panay, she looked better. When she fought Claudia the other time, she looked even better. She fought Andrade, she looked even better. So you keep seeing her look better. The only way you can stay in you're looking impressively and you're looking like you're improving. In life or death isn't doing you any favors when she's just demolishing left and right, making them look like they don't even belong in the same cage with her. Sorry about that. Sorry, I appreciate you coming down. Yeah, no problem. Well, I, I, just, I was just telling people, basically, both girls need this fight because they both want to stay within striking distance of Joanna. So they, Claudia needs it more than Kovacavich twice. And the only way she stays in striking distance is if she beats somebody of an equal or higher rank than her, that's the only way she can say beating up, beating up the rest of the division does nothing for her. It doesn't prove she's elite. And the thing that's putting the most pressure on both girls is the fact that Joanna has looked better in every single title defense. She's making dominant fighters look like they don't belong in the same cage with her. So both women have to put on dominant performances so that people can still consider them. Because when you have somebody winning like that, it makes, it makes everybody have to perform at a higher level or them stay in the conversation. Rose Namajunas had to finish Michelle Watterson because of the way Joanna's been looking. Claudia's got to either finish or she's got to just look so much better than Kovacavich. And Kovacavich, to me, needs to dominate, if not finish, Claudia for her to stay within striking distance of Joanna. That's the pressure Joanna's put on by constantly getting better, putting on such dominant against girls who are seemingly unbeatable, except for her. So, man, we have, we have two women who are definitely very important to the um, strawweight division right now. Um, who do you think would this fight? I'm thinking, I, I'm thinking Claudia, based on based on what I know, based on what I know about her and, and her team and, and some of the preparation she's been doing as far as the sparring and some of the, uh, the the techniques and what her coaches have been telling her. I was always, I would have picked this for Claudia anyway. She's the better talent. She's more experienced. She's actually fought the better competition and she's done better against the better competition. All of all of Kovacavich's wins, if I'm correct, were split decision. Who's been really able to push Claudia has been Joanna. When she fought um, Jessica Aguilar, she dominated her. She fought Courtney Casey. So nobody else has been able to touch her. So I'm going to have to go with a proven 
the proven veteran and the proven elite fighter. He's elite. Who's elite as a result of beating a one elite person and a bunch of people who were their strong weapons? That's interesting because no one else had kind of presented that that key point that um, she has only one via the decision. I didn't even know that, so that's definitely a key point that I'm glad you were able to point out there. Um, Claudia, you put Claudia in with the girl. She's fought Claudia runs through Heather Joe Clark. Joe Clark is talented. You put her in against uh, Randa Marcus. She beats Randa Marcus with an inch of her life. I don't know. We already know that Carolina can't Joanna than Claudia did. She had a shot. She didn't do. She didn't do as well. And I don't know that she beats the other girls that Claudia beat either. Because Claudia, because all those girls, once again, wider set of skills and. and Better physical talent. So once again, I've seen the result. We'll find clearly better fighter, but every you're breaking up somewhere. Clearly better round. beaten has been better than her overall in some area or another. It's a matter of fighting with discipline, skill, and control. If they do that. Claudia should win this and win it handily. If she starts fighting dumb and gets dragged into a bad fight, we're going to have another conversation this time next week. Yeah, that's definitely true. I, I agree with you on that. There's a couple of other fights that I want to point out that are on top of my radar as well. What are your thoughts on the fight between, um, goodness, escape me for a second, the fight between uh, Rafael and Sunsa? And more and more out. So this is a fight I'm kind of waiting on because I've been waiting on more out to get this chance in the UFC. What are some of your thoughts on this fight? Do you think it'll be something um, something spectacular? Because I think that this is a this is an important moment for Marlon. Um, simply because he has to get the job done, um, and he's at a position that like, it's, it's really hard to try to come into the UFC and be. This is a really, this is a crazy ass to fight. No one's really talking about it. So where do you see these two guys going? Um, um, my my concern for Marlon. Marlon's a great fighter, and we've talked about him before. And I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna express the same concern I've always had in the WSOF. It's not that they didn't have guys who couldn't fight. They have guys who can fight, but they're guys. They have a limited number of guys who can fight, and they have guys with limited skill sets and limited limited physical skill sets. Marlon's never had to go to a plan B. He's never had a guy who could handle his athleticism handle his power, handle his offensive skills. We haven't gotten to see him tested against a guy with real experience, with real veteran savvy. That's my concern for him. What happens, it's kind of like, to a, to a degree, it's almost like the Frankie, Frankie Edgar, Yair Rodriguez fight. Yair Rodriguez is well-trained. He's got some experience. He can fight. He's got dynamic ability. But in all the fights he's been in, when he's won, guys couldn't handle that ability. They couldn't handle that unorthodox technique. They couldn't handle the pace he set. He was used to athleticism, used to power, used to creativity, used to a high pace. He got dismantled. And I really think that if Marlon isn't able to put something on a sunset early and really do, I think there's a very good chance that a sunset does to him what Frankie did to, to Yair. We don't we don't know what Mar what Marlon's like when he's under duress. Nobody knows. Nobody's seen him have to take five or six punches. Nobody's seen him when 
if somebody takes him down and, and starts putting putting lumber on him. Nobody's seen him kind of getting pressured and bullied or worked over in clinches or put in bad spots in the ground. We haven't seen it. So we can assume that maybe he's just that good, but we know for a fact he hasn't been facing the best talent. So what happens the minute he gets in one of those bad spots? What happens when that shoddy land doesn't get the KO? What happens when he hits a Suntow in the face and Suntow hits him back? What happens when he does that spinning stuff and he can't hit a Suntow because the Suntow has good footwork, good timing, and good distance management. And he has to work harder than he usually has to work to land. He has to work harder than he usually has to work to get away. He gets taken down. He gets pressured. He gets punches put on him. We haven't seen that. The, the most experienced guy he faced was Miguel Torres, and that fight was more competitive than it should have been given the fact that Miguel Torres was clearly on the decline by the time he fought Marlon. You know, well, a lot of people keep, keep telling me about Marlon, but we, don't, we know so little about him. I mean, we know more about Justin Gaethje than we know about Marlon because we've seen him in bad spots. We've seen him have to come back. We've seen him being out, out thought or outworked or out technique. We haven't seen that with Marlon. Who, who's testing him at all? What I think is most interesting about that here is the fact that um, you're right, you know, he hasn't really, he hasn't faced any of the um, top-notch athletes that um, Justin Gaethje or the guys in the UFC has. I wonder what his team around him, though, has been doing to help him prepare for this fight. He has a hell of a team around him. Um, you know, Edson, he has... Um, He has good coaches. They're very systematic. They're very deliberate. They're very detail-oriented. They're, they're very good. He's got good guys to work with. Um, and and that, that's, very, that's great. That's great for him. But the thing about it is it's kind of like the question we always ask. A win streak, but who were you beating up in these wins? Yeah, you were looking better. What kind of styles? What, what level of experience? What kind of durability are we talking about? What level of opposition? We've seen the guys that he's beating up in WSOF. How Felix Suntow's last two guys were T.J. Dillashaw, Aljamain Sterling. He fought T.J. Dillashaw basically coming back after a year not fighting, and he and he actually gave Dillashaw problems. It wasn't like some blowout win for Dillashaw. It was actually a contested win for Dillashaw. And Dillashaw is the, what, second, at worst, third best guy in division? Aljamain Sterling is a young, athletic, dynamic grappler with length and some striking talent. He's supposed to be one of the better athletes in the sport. He's supposed to be one of the better prospects in the sport, one of the better fighters in the division. Um, those two guys are better than anything else Marlon's face. Rafael in basketball, he's fought Uriah, he's fought everybody. So I don't know what Marlon's going to bring in that he's not going to have seen. And I know that Rafael Sunsau can get things done when he's in a bad spot. 
top-notch athleticism win. I know he can face dynamic, busy strikers and win. I know he can compete with those kind of guys. To know so little about Marlon, he might do all the right things, but doing the right things when you outclass somebody athletically is easy. Doing the right things when you're so much better than someone technically is easy. But when you but do, this, do the right things against somebody who's better than you, all of a sudden the mistakes you usually don't make, you start making them. All the things you're used to do when someone takes your plan A away, do you even have a plan B? Do you know how to operate a fight? Do you know how to operate when you can't dictate pace and the intensity of a fight? That it, it's like we literally know nothing about him except he's an athletic talent with great offensive skills. We don't know anything about his defense at a real level. We don't know anything about his power at a real level. You know, I'm not saying he doesn't have it because it's clear that his gifts. It's hard for me to gauge a fight when I, I don't really know anybody that he's fought who could have competed at anything close to the level that Asuncio has been competing at. Like all the guys he's beaten, Aljamain Sterling would beat. All the guys Marlon's beaten, Aljamain Sterling. Every top Bantamweight would beat. And there's guys in the top 15 who would beat all the guys he's fought. I don't know that as any of the guys that Asuncio has beaten. Right now, even, even though I'm not saying he would, but I don't know that because I have no idea what he does in, in bad spots. So it's me to pick anybody except Asuncio. And I'm telling you, if he gets him on the ground, if he can get past those kicks and get him on the ground, um, I, I'm, I'm going to think it's, it's going to be a bad, it's going to be a rough night for Marlon because the sun's out on the ground. He's not super active on the feet. He's kind of more measured, likes to counter, pick his spots. But on the ground, he gets somebody in the basketball on the ground. That ground and pound isn't a game. And, and that, that willingness and ability to finish is not a game either. Marlon's going to find out fighter if he secures the takedown and control we're talking about a whole nother fight and I, i'll stick with the same 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 look on that how to put some heat on him early and really do some damage right the experience where he's having to think and he's having to have never been in And you're starting to break up again too, by the way. Sean? Yeah, can you hear me? I can hear you now. Yeah, essentially all I was saying was that if this fight could go very well like Frankie with Yair, if he can if he can impose his athleticism and his aggression and, and offensive technique early be in trouble but if a sun style is making him think and he's putting him in positions and making him work his way through him and putting him in spots that he's never been in i think he gets ugly really fast similar to the way it got ugly for yair when he fought you know he gets in a bad spot and he tries for some submission or some escape blowed out of it that's not going to work against a guy with a sun style's sort of experience gonna have to pay a high price for that and that fight will get ugly very fast So are you going right out picking um, a sun sound for the win? Yeah, I'm going to sun sound now. Okay, I'm, I'm not. I'm just going. I'm going to go with the known quality and the experienced fighter. I'm, I'm going to go with the guy who's been more, active, more experienced and more proven. I'm not mad about that at all. Um, you know, I've been wanting to see his UFC debut for a while now. Now that it's here, you know, I'm, when I saw this fight match, I was like, uh, okay. Let's see what happens here, and I guess now it's time to kind of maybe see what happens. 
actually very impressed with Marlon for one thing. I'd come to the UFC. He sure he got all the money he could have got out of WSOF before he left. He paid the signing bonuses and go fight the best. So he made sure his family and his and his own financial needs were taken care of. And now he's going to go fight the best. He didn't just skip the payday to get to the best. He did it. He got fights in. He got himself known. He got paid. Now he's going into the UFC. I think more guys should follow that outlook. If you can make money, make money while you can. UFC might not, you might not do as well as you think you are going to do in there as much as you think you're going to get paid in there. So when you, you got guaranteed money you can make, you make the guaranteed money, and then you make the step up. Yeah, you ain't wrong about that, man. He definitely, um, I was looking at his last few days before he left. WSLF, and he was um, not hurting for cash there at all. Um, so what are your thoughts on Vitor's supposed last match in um, the UFC? It started out as a title fight. Now it goes to a, oh, he has one more fight up on his card. So, or on his resume to, um, now he needs to give off fights outside of UFC. What do you think is next? Um, and how do you see his fight with Neymar going down? Uh, did, did Vitor not know about his contract? Like, how will he mix oh. it up that this is going to be my last fight? And then now it's it's not his last fight. Like, did he just not, was he not aware of the number of fights he had left? Like, no. how does that kind of mix up happen? Like, who the hell knows with, with this guy? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's Vitor. They were trying to pick on him today during the interview. Giving him shit because this is kind of like par for the course with him. Um, never this kind of really noticed him. Yeah. Um, it's really weird. I, I'd probably say I'd have to go against go for Marquardt because he's he's probably looked a little bit better. And also, when Marquardt's been put in tough spots, Vitor, as talented as he is, he's kind of known as a guy who folds when you no pressure on him. That's kind of been his mo. And I don't. I haven't seen anything that's changed. He's, he'll fight a little bit. Being a veteran, he can work his way out of bad spots a little bit. But essentially, when you start laying the lumber to him, whether he gets knocked out, he kind of checks out. And Marquardt, for all the things he's done, Marquardt isn't a guy who in love with the sport and in love with competing. And if he can just get past that flurry, get past that initial flurry, I think he'll be fine. He should be able to walk Vitor down. Because once Vitor kind of unloads, Generally, he doesn't have very much. Like before, he said huge offensive burst. His defense is all right. His counters were okay. His takedown offense is pretty good. Explodes once or twice. The defense starts falling apart. The footwork starts falling apart. The counters, the, the takedown defense, everything kind of goes downhill. So it's just a matter of whether Marquardt can manage that initial burst. If he can make sure that Vitor doesn't set him up with something to line him up for one big shot, because if he, he lands clean on him, even one shot, one shot definitely with a big flurry. So the question is, is Marquardt going to use his footwork and feint him to kind of get him to burn some of that energy and then get his hands on him and kind of grind him a little bit and then put the pressure on him to make Vitor quit. If he can do that, he's going to win. That's been the secret to beating Vitor in, everybody's, in every fight he's lost. It's just managing that first one or two minutes in every round when he's the most dangerous guy in the world, even at this age. So... Do you think that Vitor continues fighting after his run is over? Like, do you think he goes to um, the Bellator organization and kind of does work there? Well, the thing about it is 
the UFC is going to get their last fight from him because even though Vitor has been losing popular, at least in Brazil, he has a certain a certain fan base of people who tune in, even though he really hasn't won a fight in a, in a while, people still like seeing him fight. I mean, he's a he's a name guy. He still looks like he's he can fight. He still looks fairly young. He's popular. So they're going to get their last fight out of him. And I can't imagine they won't try to resign him. He'd have to pretty much just turn down any offer they have and then sit out for a period of time before uh, before they would let him go. So, I mean, I think he wants to go to Japan or something. To be honest, I think he would like to fight in Risen. I don't know about Bellator. I mean, Bellator is an option, but I, I would think he'd really want to go fight in Japan because he's quite popular out over. He's quite popular over there. He could be in Bellator because they would love to have a, a face to have on their division, and their middleweight division is super thin as it is right now. And you can make some super fights with him and Vanderlei, him and Chael Sonnen. They're they're all guys in his age group, so he could compete with them. You know, it wouldn't be like fighting guys twenty years younger with them who have better recovery and better chins and less mileage on them. So he'd actually be against guys in his general athletic area where he could compete against. So I could see him doing that, but I just don't know that the UFC doesn't try to spend some extra money to resign him because he's still very popular. He still draws ratings in Brazil. He's, he'll still fill out coliseums in Brazil. And he has a lot of fans in America, even for all the drug abuse and everything else. People people still support him. People still like him. They still want to see him do well. So um, I, I I think he might end up staying in the UFC. I mean, I, I really I really do. It's going to be between the UFC and Bellator. I think Risen would pay him a little bit more, but I think it'll be between the UFC and, and Bellator. But if the Bell, if UFC makes a makes a big strong offer to him and it'd be some upfront money, I think he probably stays. See, that's the thing, man. I don't think he stays. Um, I think he decides to go and kind of chase the money at some point in time. Yeah, I just wonder how long would it have to be because, like, you know, they'd have to schedule a fight, and if they're and if he has one more fight and they know he's leaving, you know, they're gonna give him like the hardest fight possible. That's what they do with everybody. That's definitely yeah, true. You're not, you're not wrong about that. You're not wrong about that at all. True, but Vitor's is—he's kind of more of a commodity. You know, I mean, just what, from what I've seen them do, when guys have guys usually have their biggest fight, and if they lose that fight, they'll be free agents. And if they win that fight, you know, they might go take some chances because I came off one of my biggest wins, and now I'm going to explore free agency. Usually, the UFC puts you in with somebody who's pretty tough. So that you're likely to lose and either resign with them or or, or, le- or be looked at as damaged goods. Last fight, and even if Vitor wins this, he'll have one more fight, and the UFC will enforce that last fight. They are not going to let him go until he does it. Um, let's look at some of the news bits that have gone on this past week. We got quite a bit to talk about news-wise, man. Um, first and foremost, we're going to start with Jermaine Durante. Uh man. She's created quite a shitstorm. First, she didn't want to fight Cyborg. First, she wanted to defend the title. Then she didn't want to because her hand was hurting. Um, then she wants to give Holly Holm a rematch. Now she's saying she doesn't want to fight Cyborg. Now she says she wants, wants to go back down to Bantamweight. I mean, I'm surprised the UFC hasn't stripped her from the title already. Um, what do you think happens to her next? I don't know, dude. Maybe they should just bash the whole division. I mean, if they're not going to just put the belts on Cyborg and then just bring up girls to fight her one at a time, like the only reason they created it was so that she would have viable opponents to fight. And now the champion doesn't want to fight her. And I can't even, I can't even really bash her because let's face it, Holly Holm wasn't going to take that fight either. She, she wasn't going to take that fight. She was going to drop right back down to 35 too. She was going to use that fight to force a fight with Amanda Nunes 
for the title, champion versus champion. And um, I mean, I don't like what Rondami's doing. I think it's kind of in the sense of everybody's a warrior and they're a true fighter. This isn't very a warrior like. It's not very. It's not the type of thing that a warrior would honor would do. But as a professional fighter, it makes perfect sense. It's not her and her team's job to do what we want or to get Chris Cyborg a title or get Chris, Chris Cyborg a fight. That's not her team or her responsibility. Her responsibility is to maximize her pay with minimum risk. Fighting Cyborg is a huge risk. If they're not willing to pay her for the risk, she's not willing to take it. And as much as I don't think that's warrior-like or soldier-like or all the other com- comparisons, gladiator, it's smart business and it's responsible business. If I was your manager and I knew that you're going to get paid, I don't know, 18000 a show and 18000 a win against the most dangerous fighter who could possibly change your career, I'm not letting you do that. I'm going to be like, no, you got to pay him at least 48000 We're not paying it. All right, well, screw it. We'll just go back to the weight class and, and drop the belt because you're still the champion. You never lost the belt and you have a legitimate, even though the fighters don't know you, it's a bogus argument. There are fans who are against drug users. Cyborg's been popped for drugs twice. So some people will say as a martial artist and as a fair sportsman, you shouldn't fight her. Why reward a cheater with the title shot? There's people who will support her. They're not as loud because they're not those type of people. But there's a lot of people who will support her decision and back her up on it. So you can say I was the first featherweight champion. I don't want to give a cheater a shot. I drop back down where I knew non-cheaters were competing and I'd have a fair shot at winning. And there's going to be a lot of people who will back her up on that. And she's doing what's best for her career. She's being taken minimum risk for maximum money. If I'm going to get paid 18000 to fight, I might as well fight fight somebody who can't really hurt me. Because you've seen the kind of decline girls who fought Cyborg have been on. You know, Gina Carano retired. Lena Landsberg did not look great in her last fight after fighting Cyborg. Most girls don't, don't recover too well after she's gotten her hands on them. So it's not her job to do what we want or to get Cyborg a belt or Cyborg a fight. It's her job to make money for herself a secure legacy for herself. And no matter what everybody says about running, the fact of the matter is Cyborg got caught for cheating twice. Twice. She, she, twice. Only, got, she only got caught once. She only, I mean, oh. you know, like she actually, you saw the went back and they exonerated her for the recent, I mean, the recent joint. The other one was from 2010, 2011. Yeah, but, yeah, but people get on Rondami about that, but they never got on Ronda Rousey. When she used that excuse, they'd be like, yeah, she's a cheater. So, I mean, right, it, was, it was Ronda Rousey. Yeah, but but Randami can always make that argument. Well, Ronda said it, you were cool. But now that I'm saying it, you got a problem. Ronda didn't fight this girl. Ronda dropped away class. Y'all just cheered her on. But I'm doing it, and now there's not. She could she could pull a race card. She could pull a favoritism card. She could pull a lot of cards to keep defending her point. And then she can say that, oh, well, the test got taken back. The test really get taken back, or did the UFC do something? Because we know no, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't honestly man, think about that. I don't think the UFC would have wanted to done anything to protect her. No, I, I, don't, I don't think they would either, but she can put that out there. Because some people will be like, it's a money grab. They lost their biggest female star, so they're, not try, they're trying to prop up the next biggest female star. There's a lot of people who buy into stuff like that. And even if she didn't get caught the second time, she got caught the first time. What does everybody say about guys who got caught one time? You don't know how long he's been cheating. His whole career has been maintained. They say it about Anderson. They say it about Jake Shields. They say it about everybody. So Cyborg is going to be no different. And I guarantee you there's a segment of fans out there who say, this is you taking a stand and not rewarding a cheater with, with a title shot. They're, they're, to some people, she's a hero. Not a lot of people, not a vocal segment. And she's a hero. Who were that? Jermaine is? They're, they're saying she took a stand. 
you could have get you could have rewarded a cheater, but you took a stand on your morals. Now we know she's scared, but to some people, they're gonna take it as a legitimate moral stand. Look, she did the right thing. She didn't give her a title fight. She gave up her title to stand on her morals because she didn't want to reward a cheater. I mean, me and you won't buy it. Fighters won't buy it, but there's a lot of people who will. No, nah, I mean, I'm not gonna buy it. I mean, I think that um, I don't like what Veronica's doing. She knew what was coming by taking this fight, taking the fight against home. She knew. I mean, Home was, was willing to fight. Um, home, home Cyborg. was not gonna fight Cyborg. We you don't think she was? No. No. Home knows better than that. I think she would have argued for the um, for the actual payday. Mike Weekland, Mike Weekland John loves her like a daughter. There's no way I would put any of my daughters in with Cyborg. I don't care what they can do. That ain't happening. I, was like, I, I, I don't believe she's going to take the fight. She could have had that fight way before she won. She could have said, I want Cyborg at 145, period. The UFC would have made it. Her and Ronda, they could have wrote their own ticket. Misha Tate could have done it, too. They don't want it. They don't want those kind of problems. That's the, that's the issue. They don't want those kind of problems. Everybody talks about fighting Cyborg in a catch weight. No, you have your contract, fight for what you're supposed to get paid, and fight the lady. But they don't want to do that. Everybody wants to get paid more. And in boxing, we call that price competition. You want a million dollars when you're only a $250,000 fighter. Basically saying, I don't want the fight. You want the fight, take the fight. Because if you beat Cyborg, the whole world is yours, money-wise. I mean, Cassie Donald was stepping out there and saying that she wants to fight. Yeah. I mean, Megan Anderson's made it clear, but I mean, she for some reason they don't want her to. I don't know why they they just don't want her to fight her. So now we're right back where we started. For Nami, they should strip you. They still haven't decided how they're going to go to the division. They made one forty fivers, or they haven't signed any. So what what do they do anyways? And maybe right, they haven't signed any. Yeah, if, if you strip her, it doesn't change the fact that she was the first featherweight champion and the only one so far. That doesn't change nothing. Yeah, it really doesn't change the so um, I don't know. I, I hope that they strip her of the times. I don't know. I, this last thing. Cyborg should have went to Bellator in the first place. UFC has allowed people to talk down on her about her character and her look and her face and everything. And everything. They've, let her, they've let Ronda Bash they let Mangana bash her. They let people attack her a lot. Company that does not have your best interest and isn't trying to push you. Coker likes you. He wants to push you. Why don't you go somewhere where you know you're supported and you know people believe in you? Why would you go somewhere where people are going to constantly let people bring up your cheating and come in or know that organization? They clearly don't have your best interest at heart. Law from the beginning. I don't think she should have come to the UFC. I think she should have straight to Bellator. Or gone to Japan and made her money. The UFC has, and the only reason they're interested now is because Ronda got iced. If Ronda was still winning, winning, she was still being, Cyborg was still being Invicta, class citizen. I mean, what what other division do you have the best fighter in the division? Wait, instead of their name. No, you're, you're totally right about that. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, cool. I thought you had cut out for a second. Um. We got a couple other bits of news to talk about. Did you see that um, Roy Nelson is now part of the Bellator Fighting Championship? I think that was a pretty interesting move for him. It's not a bad idea. 
think it was a good move for him at, at this point in, in his career. What are your thoughts about that? Clear when he fought Stipe, that one time he was on his last fight, and for some reason he resigned with the UFC. And I'm like, once again, you have a organization, the face of the organization does not like you and, and downplays you to you every chance he gets. Why are you staying with that organization? He could have been in Bellator for the last three or four years. He probably would have been a Bellator heavyweight champion by now. But he's the UFC, and the UFC has never pushed him, and I don't believe they've ever really supported him, to be quite honest. I don't think they. I don't think Dana likes him. Look, they want. I don't think he talks the way they want. And I just, for the life of me, could not understand why he would stay here in an organization that has no faith in him and doesn't believe in him and doesn't want to see him succeed, in my opinion. But he should have made that decision like, um, like maybe a a couple three years ago, two years ago. I mean, he's he's not in any better position than he was when he lost to Stipe. He's basically in the same role, like a gatekeeper. He could have been a contender in Bellator. They need names. They need people with personalities. They need people with faces. And he talked about the sponsorship money. You were a bigger star three years ago. You were on a winning streak. You'd only lost one fight. You won like two or three in a row. You were a bigger star then. You were still considered a top 10 heavyweight. That would have been the time to get that sponsorship money and to, and to expand your brand and maximize, and maximize it. Now he can still make money, but he can't make as much money as he could have made three years ago when he was a bigger star. And he was still considered an elite heavyweight. I could be wrong, but. Uh, What's funny is so about um, if Kimbo Slice was still alive, you know, they would make that rematch in a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, they're just a Bellator is willing to take create fights and just sell. So he wouldn't even be having a lot of tough fights. He'd just be having fights that build off of his name. And he was still a big name then. He's a name now, but he's just not as big a star as he used to be. And I just think he should have made that move two or three years ago. I'm nobody's gonna talk me off of that. He should have made when he lost the Stipe, he should have just went straight to Bellator and, and rebuilt himself. Yeah, that's definitely not something I'm gonna disagree with you there. Um, we got a couple other bits of news to talk about. Let's look at the um, I don't want to talk about the KSW show, but you mentioned Megan Anderson uh earlier today. You know, she she just her next Invicta fight just got um, announced a couple of days ago. What are your thoughts on her? Do you think she eventually make it into the um, UFC? Um, I don't know. They, they just don't have anything going with that division. I mean, the champion doesn't want to fight the next best contender. They've had the chance to sign her. She's been essentially begging to be signed, and they won't sign her. She's begging. Nobody else wants to fight Cyborg. She is begging to fight her, and they will not sign her. It's telling you about their, their host of the division. They're just going to throw another 135-er. So I don't I don't know that she has a place unless she drops weight. I, if I was her in Cyborg, I would just try to go for Bellator. They have a full flight, a full featherweight division. They have a champion who's looking to defend. They have sponsors. They have national TV. They have good ratings. Why are you trying to force the UFC into something they don't seem committed to? It just doesn't seem very smart to me. It just doesn't. She's a good fighter. She has a look. She has personality. They could do a lot with her, but they just don't seem interested in it. So what's she going to do? Just keep fighting in Invicta and waiting until the UFC throws her a bone? You know, why not Why not go to an organization that already has a featherweight division? It's not going to make you drop a weight class. And that, that has opportunities. It's going to push you because they don't have a lot of stars or a lot of high-profile people. I mean, she's just another cog in the machine, the UFC. I, I want to see her. I want to see her. Fight. the girl she's fighting in her next fight is is actually going to be a dangerous fighter too so it's like she's she, she's got a lot riding on this if she loses that cyborg fight's gone and 
and really any shot with Bellator is gone. Like all the girls who fight in that division are trying to get a fight with Cyborg in the UFC because they want to get that payday. But it's a really, it's a tightrope you're walking on because you lose, you're out. There and and they and she's been begging and pleading and they haven't given her any attention yet. So she's she's playing a dangerous game. And if she loses, she's right back in the line in Invicta, trying to prove herself worthy of getting a shot at Cyborg all over again. Got me? Sorry about that, man. I was on um, mute the whole time. I was just sitting there talking. <laughs> but as I said, um, you know, Megan Anderson is someone who I think is um, pretty awesome. I'm interested in seeing what happens with her next. Uh, what are some of the other things that you're working on for the site this week? I saw you did that excellent stuff on. Um, Wonder Woman this past week. I think that's awesome. I hope everybody goes out and reads that. But what are some of the other things that you're working on this week? Um, I'm actually going to, I've actually started working on a, a fight for next week, the uh, Daniel Kelly, uh, Derek Brunson fight. I'm kind of breaking that down. Going to try to uh, not just break down the technical aspect. I'm going to try to break down the level of matchmaking, like explain why this fight might be made and what the benefits of the fight are for both parties. Because usually I just talk about the technique and who's going to win. But a lot of times people ask about why are you making this match? This is good matchmaking. This is bad matchmaking. I happen to think this is good matchmaking. So I'm going to explain why this would be good matchmaking so that fans have a better idea of what what the ulterior motives might be behind certain guys' faith in certain guys. You know, guys coming off a lot of another guy's on a win streak. Why are these two guys fighting? Statistically, it could be trying to establish a name. It could be getting them on a bigger platform. There's a lot of reasons outside of just the quality of fight that matchmakers make certain fights. And I'm going to try to address that as well as the actual fight in itself between the two fighters. So, I mean, it was all, I mean, you know, some very, some very intriguing thought work. So I just want to say, again, I appreciate you for all that you're putting down. Um, what else? Let me see what I have. I've got some stuff going on. Um, I saw your, art, the, your, your article on grappling. I, I was trying to get people to check it out because a lot of people say they like grappling, but it's like T.P. Grant told us, people like to compete in it or they like to watch people they know do it, but they're not really passionate about the sport as a whole like they are about other sports. We'll watch two nobodies box, but I won't watch two nobodies grapple. You're invested in the sport. You really love it. You want to see it succeed and build. And I think when people like you cover it or write about it, everybody should read it because I think that enthusiasm comes through the article you're writing and when you talk about it. And I think if more people had that enthusiasm, they could bring more people into it. And those people need to be the guys fighting for that sport because even if there's a bigger name, if they're not enthusiastic about it, they're not passionate about it, you can sense that. And it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't inspire you to, to invest yourself in the sport. But the way you talk about it, it makes me now like start watching more grappling matches on YouTube and I'll actually go through the whole match now because I've kind of caught on a little bit of that enthusiasm you have for it. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, glad you appreciate my work with that. I got some keeping an eye out on the uh, tournament this week. That's going to be where my eyes are. You know, I'm looking forward to UFC 212 this weekend. So I, again, 
just want to thank you for your work, man, for taking out time to talk to us today. Uh, no problem. Letting me be a part of everything as always. I'm going to get these technical issues figured out one of these days. It's, it's so frustrating. <laughs> okay, it's all good, man. Well, I hope you do that, man. With that in mind, I'm going to go out the show and uh, tell everybody thank you for listening to our work and always be sure to share our content across um, all of our social media channels. Yeah, thank you very much, guys, for listening. And um, I know some people might not have checked out the uh, Wonder Woman piece, but and I, I hate to say this about my own work. I just, if you haven't seen it, I think you should check it out. It's actually me breaking down the comic book character from an MMA analyst point of view. So there's like real clips and real breakdowns of the fights that she's had with other superheroes and supervillains. And I break it down like I would break down any other fighter. And it was just fun to do because I, I like the comic book. I'm going to go see the movie. I like mixed martial arts. So I got to kind of put everything that I like or I spent a lot of time being involved in and put it all together. And it's just a fun project because she's not a real person but it's fun to kind of put her in that real real world lens and kind of break down what she does so i would recommend anybody who's into the comic book or into the character just give it a look it's, it's just something fun to, to think but thank you guys for listening and i'll talk to you later bye